Welcome to the Sound Words Podcast, where it's our goal to help Christians love and live out God's Word. I'm Pastor Aaron Nicholson, this is Pastor Jesse, and we have a special guest today, Scott Bailey. Hello, Scott. Thanks for being here. Hello, guys. Thanks for having me. You bet. Uh, Scott is an elder at our church, Indian Hills Community Church. He is a Bible teacher. Um, He is my father-in-law, so Mm -hmm. I'll be on my best behavior today. Um, Scott is teaching through, currently teaching through the book of Genesis in his Sunday school class. What chapter are you at right now? Uh, That's a good question. (laughs) Uh, I'm at 40, we're in chapter 41. 41. We just did the um, uh, lesson where the Pharaoh had, Pharaoh's dream. Okay. So, yep. Chapter 41. So almost through Genesis. So we brought in our resident expert on the book of Genesis to shed some wisdom on this important foundational book. So thanks again for being here. Glad to be here and thanks for inviting me. Well, I'll just start with the first question then. Okay. Um, First question we have, uh, who wrote Genesis? Well, we know from what all the scholars say, Moses is the author uh, of Genesis. And uh, he's known as, even though he doesn't have his signature actually in the book of Genesis, where it doesn't ever say Moses is the author, we know that he was the author of the Pentateuch and the Torah. Um, and that's historically, that's how we have it. I mean, it's there might be a little discrepancy to it, but most likely, and uh, in the scholarly world, it would be Moses would be the author. And there's, Do many contend there's, that there's another author? Is there anyone up in the runnings? No, but what's interesting about the book is Moses not necessar- did not necessarily author the book penmanship-wise, just you know through the power of the Holy Spirit. It was a collection of toldots or generations that uh, that Moses received. And uh, then compilation of those uh, um, generations that uh, Adam wrote, uh, Jacob wrote, um, Isaac wrote, and he put all those together to bring us the book of Genesis. Now, there is one, there's a great verse in chapter 2 of uh, Genesis, right at the very beginning of it, in verse 4 of chapter 2, where it talks about God being the author of probably the first two chapters. No one was there to see the actual creation event happen. And God most likely uh, put, well, it's, it's kind of obvious, I think, God was the one that uh, wrote down the words of what he did in those, in those seven days and then handed that to Adam, and then Adam put it together in the, in the collections that he had. So, And there's good evidence to show that, too. It says this in verse 4 of chapter 2, it says, This is the account of the heavens and the earth where, when, when they were created in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. So God is the one that most likely wrote those first couple chapters just because there was nobody there to, to witness what he did. All right. Well, what, what would you say, Scott, are some of the, the main themes of Genesis? You're, you're 41 chapters into it now, or 40 chapters into it. So having gone that deep into the study over the many months, I know you've already been in it. What are some of the, the themes that, are, that have been standing out to you so far? Well, this is probably, I would, the theme-wise... This is probably one of the most important books in Scripture. Um, it really is, especially the—and uh, I'm not taking away from any of the other uh, books of the Bible, but this is one of those foundational books that if you have the book of Genesis, especially chapters 1 through 3, if you have those books down pat, the rest of the Bible will come to much clearer, and you'll have a much better understanding of it. If I was going to make a theme of it, it would have to be the beginnings or the origin, um, the earth, light, heaven, animals, man, Israel, sin, grace, all of those could be themes of the, of the book of Genesis and are all important 
um, uh, to to the rest of Scripture, the beginning of the human race, um, origins of the world and nations, and the beginning of the Jewish people is a very important doctrine that we get from the from the book of Genesis. That if we have that down pat, yeah, very important to understand those first eleven chapters. Yeah, and, and what a, what a relevant topic to our day to day. No we doubt about what's taught in schools, what's taught in college campuses, what's just sort of taken for granted, right? That, that origins, uh, looks like a pile of uh, cosmic goo that came from somewhere, but otherwise it's just kind of a a random and and purposeless existence that we all live. And what a wonderful uh, God we worship to give us a book like this, to show us exactly where we came from, how it started, uh, when all things began. I mean, that's the literal, uh, first word of Genesis, the, 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 the title bear sheep, right? Bear sheep. Correct. Yep. Um, and, and to give us confidence as believers that there is a beginning, it's sure, it's, uh, God doesn't make the case for his existence in the first words of Genesis, it's in the beginning, God. Correct. And what, a, what an amazing foundational book that we have and that you've had the privilege of teaching through. You know, I asked my Sunday school class, and I think we were just finishing up the book of Deuteronomy and obviously dealing with the author Moses, and I asked him, what book would you like to go through again? And we all voted the book of Genesis, mm-hmm. just so, again, we could just reiterate you know, what God did, especially in those first 11 chapters, the chapters that follow uh, those 11 chapters, we understand just the development of the nation of Israel and the the history of Israel. But those uh, first 11 chapters are so relevant, especially in the world that we live in today, which rejects those 11 chapters. and, And Satan is taking those 11 chapters and destroying the foundation that God has established for man, for the world, for nations, uh, for the government, um, for morals, and all those different things he has destroyed. So it's good to go through that just to get your feet grounded again, uh, especially in the world that we live in, that just is annihilating all the doctrines that we find in the book of Genesis. So, Yeah, and we talk about how Genesis is so foundational, and I think I heard someone say that every or many doctrines have their seed form in Genesis. Mm-hmm. Um, so going into that, what doctrines do you see in the book of Genesis? Okay. There's, it's quite a big list. Yeah, I mean, what are and, some? And yeah. it's, it's, you know, and this is I don't. This is not exhaustive, but uh, let me give you the um, uh, the the list that I've come up with. The doctrine of God, which is found right in Genesis chapter one, verse one. You know that there is a God, as Jesse, as you mentioned, that God is God, and He is the one that did these things. I think it's awesome how uh, the book of Genesis details who our God was and what he wants to be called in chapter two, verse four, that he wants to be called Yahweh. I mean, that's the first time we see God given us what he is called, Lord God. And I think that's pretty amazing that he does that. I already developed it, didn't I? And I was just <laughs> going to give you the name of it. But Christology, the, the doctrine of Christ himself, pneumatology, uh, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, angel, angelology, the doctrine of elect angels, Satanology, the doctrine of Satan, demonology, the doctrine of fallen angels, anthropology, uh, which we all know is the doctrine of man, harmatology, the doctrine of sin, soteriology, the doctrine of salvation is found in the book of Genesis, Israelology, the doctrine of Israel, and eschatology, the, last, uh, the doctrines of the last things future things that are going to happen. Mm-hmm. All of those are developed in the, in the book of Genesis. So yeah, that's a list. lot. You like you, we were talking about before, if you get those things down, yeah. uh, you don't have too much else to worry about in scripture. So you will, you, at least you will have a solid uh, base 
for how you study and how you uh, look at salvation, how you look at who Jesus is, the Messiah is, that one day a Messiah would have to come because of sin, how you understand sin, how you understand the nations that are developed in the world today. I mean, that's not a doctrine, but it is uh, an important point. So just the whole gamut of what we uh, study in the Word of God is found in the book of Genesis, the basis of it is. Any of those that you would like to... One that stands out to me is anthropology. Um, You know, talking about how God created man and woman, he gave them roles, gave them responsibility. Sin was introduced into the world, man Mm -hmm. sinned. Um, I think there's so much there, and you alluded to it in the first, well, three chapters, but 11 chapters in Genesis. And um, just how do you see that impacting uh, life today? You know, how does the, the anthropology that we learn about in Genesis impact life today or how where does it show up in current events or life today yeah good that's a good question i i want to say one of the first things that we look at is just man's responsibilities after man was created by god in the garden uh god gave man certain responsibilities and one of the things that god did for to man when adam he the one of the things he told him in chapter 1 verse 28 he told him to subdue the earth that man was supposed to be in control of the earth and in 128, it says, God blessed them, man and the woman, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And uh, I think that's a very interesting doctrine for mankind, what man is supposed to be doing. What is interesting is the unbeliever thinks that by subduing the earth or taking control of the earth, that we are ruining it. Um, we are destroying the earth by subduing it. And so we should, you know, and that's that's yeah. something that we hear about all the time. Yet the Word of God says that they are the ones. Now, this is an interesting one, too. The Word of God says that they are the ones who are destroying the earth. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 18, it says this, And, and the nations were enraged, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to those who destroy the earth. Talking about unbelievers, the actions that they are doing uh, on the earth is not what, how God has established it, and their ideas are the way that is destroying the earth. So I think it's interesting. Isaiah 24, verse 5 and 6 also make a strong case against those who reject God's word. We're talking about God's commands to, to subdue the earth, as, as we see all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. The earth is, is also polluted by its inhabitants, for they've transgressed laws, violated statutes, broke the everlasting covenant, and in verse 5 says, Therefore a curse devours the earth, and those who live in it are held guilty. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and a few men are left. The everlasting covenant that's being talked about in Isaiah is most likely that Noahic covenant that God is talking about all the way back in the book of Genesis in chapter 8 and 9. And the basic precepts of this covenant is that God, that man is to be fruitful, multiply, and, re- and replenish the earth. Man is supposed to be the subject of the earth for its proper use. Uh, both the plants and animals are allowed for us to eat, and capital punishment, life for life, is part of that subduing of the earth and the, and the authority that God has given to man. For sure. I mean, you're just scratching the surface there. This is fun, actually, to go to do these deep dives throughout Genesis. Let's, right. let's talk um, hamartiology, the doctrine of sin. The ones that come to my mind are, you know, just right off the top of the head, Noah's sons, 
Abraham's lies, Joseph vis-a-vis his brothers, uh, Satan's, yeah, you know, Satan's uh, temptation and that the fall, right. There, there's so much there. How would you uh, summarize uh, what, what you see in terms of the doctrine of sin developed in the, doc- in the book of Genesis? Well, it is really developed at the very beginning. Right. Um, I mean, we see that in the, in Eve's choice uh, to to reject w- the command that God gave to her and make her own decision on what how how uh, uh, she should behave rather than what God has established. Once man rejects God's established ordinances or God's established word or God's established law, uh, then we are in direct violation of what God's word, and that is sin. And that's what that's exactly what Eve did. She rejected that. God, you know, she just thought that she could have her own idea of what right and wrong were. And she developed that. And that's what, that was the very beginning of man's fall, Mm -hmm. so to speak. So, and you mentioned, um, you know, sin is rejecting God's law. God was very explicit with Eve and Adam uh, not to eat from the tree. How did the rest of the Old Testament saints before the law know what sin was when we don't have any written record of um, a law that God gave? You know, how did Abraham know that it was wrong to lie to, uh, who was, was it uh, Abimelech, um, about his wife, Sarah, right. who's his sister, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Well, there's, there's, I think there's multiple, um, ways that God has put it in, in man, in, in just in inherently in man, mm-hmm. that man knows right and wrong. The Bible says that, but God also gave Moses the law. I mean, uh, before the law, different, a little bit different because we didn't have the law. But obviously, God spoke to man, and man understood that there were rules that they had to abide by. Well, a good example of that is Cain and Abel. Uh, there was a right way to that God in the Bible doesn't tell what the right sacrifice was, um, but but there was a right way to bring a sacrifice before God, and there was a wrong way to bring a sacrifice before God. Abel understood that this what the right way to bring the sacrifice to God was, and Cain rejected it. So God probably spoke to these men and and gave them knowledge about what was right and wrong. It's in its inherent inside them. Obviously when the law came, as Paul said, the law showed them what sin was. And uh, because of the law, they knew that you're not supposed to steal, you're not supposed to covet what your neighbor has and different things like that. I think God did that through does that throughout history and and throughout the scripture obviously. I don't know if that answers your question or not. Yeah, no it does. I mean conscience. Yeah. yeah. And, conscience. And the law no, is just that written man. form of conscience. Right. Um, according to God's standard. Yep. We all we know when we're in the wrong. Mm-hmm. A baby knows when they're in the wrong. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um a, a, a 2-year-old can understand right and wrong. Right off, and you know that from the kids that are my grandkids. Yeah, Uh, everybody understands it. It's just inherently in your conscience Mm -hmm. and in your in your heart that you know what's right and wrong. I love this. I love that we're developing. You're developing for us a systematic theology, essentially through Genesis. Right? You've identified. uh, We talked about anthropology a bit. We've talked about hamartiology, the doctrine of sin. You even alluded to Christology, the doctrine of Christ. Would mm-hmm. would that be the uh, what's called the proto euangelion, the Genesis three fifteen, kind of pointing to the need for that that uh, the, the savior, the one that would crush the head of the serpent? Is that what you're developing there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're you're jumping right into a topic that I I love to talk about. Um, it might be a little controversial for some, but I think God established it, and I think it's actually pretty clear that God established it. And I'll, I'll take you away from the, the book of Genesis and, and bring you to um, the, the New Testament. 
And uh, there's a there's a time when when Paul was standing before King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, verse 22, he says this. So having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place, that Christ was to suffer and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. So I think the, the I think that the the prophets and Paul the apostles looked at and and studied the words that Moses gave in the book of Genesis, Leviticus, and saw Christ in it. The that I think it was developed all the way back to chapter three of of Genesis chapter one. I think Eve understood that when she sinned, a Messiah would have to come to cover, to be a, a, a redeemer of the sin that, sh- that, that was started in the Garden of Eden. In, in chapter um, 4 of Genesis, verse 1, she says, I have gotten a man-child with the, with the help of the Lord. That literally in the Hebrew says, I have gotten a man, Jehovah. So think about that. She was looking for someone, a Messiah, a redeemer, that was going to cover the sin that she knew that she created. I think she first thought that it was Cain. Then after Cain killed Abel, she realized that it wasn't him. And so when she had Seth, you can see the joy in her voice when she had Seth, that God gave her a, a, a child that was going to be of the line that would one day be the redeemer. I think she actually thought Seth was the one to do it. I think I think Noah's father proclaimed that, I mean, look what he named him, you know, the one that gives us rest. We're, we have a, and how God gave them this information, we don't know, the Bible doesn't say, but that there had to be a redeemer, there had to be someone that was going to cover the, the mistakes that they made, the sin that was created is throughout the book of Genesis. So I think it's actually mm. amazing uh, that Genesis develops that doctrine that we know so much better because of much, so much more information. Well, you've already addressed this in various ways as we've talked through these doctrinal categories, but would you be willing to answer this question, uh, however you, you want to approach it or attack it, but why does Genesis matter today? I know we've kind of, again, hit at it from various angles here as we've talked through foundations and, and beginnings and uh, even theological truths that are woven throughout the book of Genesis. Anything else you would add to enhance that answer to say, why, why, why does Genesis matter today? Why do we read the book of Genesis? And not just in January when we start Bible reading plans, right. but why should we be um, gripped by this book throughout the year and throughout our, our lives as Christians? I made a, a list of exactly that because why does it matter today? Especially, you know, Aaron and I are part of the, uh, our college group. And I think about our college group a lot, you know, like things that they're going to have to deal with in life and, and things that are getting thrown at them from uh, their college professors and, and friends that are around them. And, you know, f- there's so many things that, that Genesis uh, establishes that, and it's, this is not an exhaustive list, but it is such an important list for us as believers to get down the doctrine of evolution. Um, that is one that uh, our kids need to have down pat so that, that uh, they know that death had bookends. Death started with man, man's sin in the garden, and it will have an end after the tribulation for believers. I think that's fantastic. Death had a beginning, and death is going to have an end that God said is going to have an end too. Um, so that, um, you know, 
we could talk about evolution for a long time, but evolution is an important thing for them to understand. The uh, subduing the earth, which we already talked about, marriage. Uh, look what's happened to marriage in the world today. Who would have ever guessed that man would be coming out that um, a man can marry a man or a woman can marry a woman? Uh, when the Bible says at the very beginning that God established marriage between a man and a woman, and it's, and it's very clear in chapter 2, verse uh, 24, says, For this reason, uh, after the creation of Eve, after the creation of woman, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and, and, he, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Uh, one flesh, uh, a man and a woman. That's what God puts in Scripture. I can't even believe that we have to discuss that today. Um, but Jesus did. He brought it up in Matthew chapter 19. Um, when the Pharisees were asking him questions, he says, have you not read how, uh, that he who created them from the beginning made them man, male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. He quoted that verse back in Genesis and the two shall become one flesh. Of course, man corrupts this to his own destruction. There's other things that are in the world today that I think our, our young ones and even us older uh, folk can establish the flood. Um, the evidence is all around us. I love to look at Genesis and, and then take a trip and go look at the mountains or go look at the rivers or go look at whatever it is that I'm looking at and see the different uh, um, strata layers or uh, read a book and see all the different uh, uh, fossils that are found in layers upon layers upon layers on the tops of mountains and in the lowest of valleys. Ken Ham had, I think he made the, one of the best statements of all, millions of fossils buried in millions of layers all over the earth. I mean, it shows that there was a flood. And I think that pretty well sums it up. But our kids need to know that because a lot of times we are influenced by what our teachers are telling us at school. The rainbow, how about that one? I mean, that's a great one from, uh, from the book of Genesis. A uh, promise that God made a covenant with man that he's never going to destroy the earth again with the flood. And of course, Satan has hijacked that, what God has established as a covenant with man, that he would never destroy the earth. And he's taken that. How about climate change? Um, this is my favorite. I love it because I think Christians get caught up in we got to save the world or, man, we're doing things to destroy the world and we got to change it. And I love the simple truth found in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. And I, and I wonder how believers can get caught up in the thought that mankind can change the climate or save the planet. Because God says this in chapter 8, verse 22, he says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. Say, okay, now, okay, I got that. We're going to have the seasons, but the ice caps are melting. And it won't be long before Jesse's home state of California will be inundated with water. Well, Jeremiah has something to say about that, that also. And he says, Do not fear me, declares the Lord, for I have placed the sand as a boundary for the sea, an eternal decree, not just one that was back in those days, an eternal decree, so it cannot cross over it. Though the waves tossed, yet they cannot prevail. Though they roar, yet they cannot cross over it. And so uh, climate changes should never be an issue in a believer's life. Let me give you one more example uh, that I wrote down here. These are great. Capital punishment. Think of the trouble that man has caused himself um, by not doing the simple truth that God gave to Noah back in Genesis chapter 9, where he says, an eye for an eye, whoever sheds man's blood, 
by man his blood shall be shed. And it's a, it was a law established in the Noahic covenant in the scripture. And what man has done is they have, uh, well, you can see what it has caused in the world today. We let, we let murderers go, definitely against God's command, clear command that we find in Genesis chapter 8. Yeah, wonderful. I mean, you've shown Genesis matters. Yes, Genesis matters today. Uh, so may that be an encouragement to us to read our Bibles, to pick up Genesis. And um, even though it's, it's January and we're all reading Genesis probably anyway, uh, keep reading and, and recognize how it applies to our lives today, how it applies to current events and things we see in the political sphere and um, even things companies put out. So I appreciate that and appreciate you uh, teaching through Genesis and, and highlighting these truths for us. Oh. You're very welcome. It's 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 been a pleasure. It's it's always a good book to study, and you're right. There's a reason why we read at the at the beginning of the year. I mean, it just sets the background and the knowledge for the rest of the Bible, and so it's a great place to start, even yeah. at the beginning of the year in January, to start reading the Book of Genesis for sure. Yeah, Scott, I'm I'm also grateful that you're on the podcast. But beyond that, just grateful for the way you serve the church. You're you're an elder of the church. You're faithful. Uh, you have a a job, a vocation, you have a family, you have grandchildren, uh, you do so much, and yet you still manage the time to carve out to teach this great book each and every week. Not only that, you help me learn how to operate a snowblower, which as a Californian <laughs> was very valuable, right, especially right. in a day like today. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. hopefully but, you get to use it today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but very grateful for you and your service to the church in general, and just thanks again for being on the podcast. Well, thank you. It's, it's Again, it's just a pleasure and a privilege to be ambassadors for the Lord, so I don't even find it to be a... Uh, uh, you know, painful at all. It's all a pleasure. Good. So praise the Lord for that. Amen. Well, Jesse, do you have any uh, last comments to close this out? Final word goes to God's word. Second Timothy one thirteen. retain the standard of sound words, which you've heard from me in the faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Great. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. <laughs>